good to be back uh, today. Um, I was out last week, and uh, for good reason, uh, my son was born. Yes, Nathaniel James Vivitz was born October 26th, 7 pounds, 8 ounces, 22 inches long. He is a long baby, but he is but he is at home with, uh, with Jerry, and uh, they're resting and recovering, so she, she'll be back soon. But anyways, let's, uh, let's all stand up. Before we begin, I would like to have my brother Augustine come up and just share a, a testimony of what the Lord has been doing in his life. And so please give a warm welcome to Augustine as he makes his way up. Good morning, everybody. God is good. God is so amazing. Uh, during this, during our last month, I was just uh, on my way home from work. It was the last day of the work week. You know, my boss was nice enough to let me go home early. And uh, just right when I was a block away from home, I decided to take an off route because they were doing construction. And it just happened to rain really hard the day before. So when I saw the dirt road, uh, it was uh, it looked pretty stable. It looked pretty hard. But when I went in there, my car just sank. And it was like about eight inches up to the tires, like this much left of the tire. And... Uh, yeah, the more I revved the engine, the more it sank. So I got out of the car, and I was like, everybody was looking at me funny. And you know, they were make, some of them were making fun of me, but that's okay. I still prayed and blessed them. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it was in the school parking lot. So the school staff came out, the security guard, the teachers, about four people helping me, including my brother-in-law. And no one could move it. And I was beginning to get frustrated, and I was just started praying and praying and praying and after a whole hour of just constantly asking God for help and wondering is he going to get out of this mess because I didn't have any money to call the towing service uh, a random contractor just happened to drive by and he parked next to my car he looked at it he's like I'll be able to help you out I'm going to hook it to your car and pull it out so I was so grateful you know, and uh, I gave him a gospel track I you know, prayed for him and uh, God is just so, so faithful. You know, even in times where we're just stressed out, he still answers our call. And all we have to do is just be patient and wait. So I just want to read a verse to encourage everyone who's happened to go to a similar situation or worse. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Psalm 34, 19. The Lord is so good. Let us pray, guys. Lord, thank you so much for being so faithful, Lord. You are so faithful and true, Lord. Your words alone are trustworthy and true, Lord. You are worthy of it all, Lord. To you, we give all the glory and honor and praise, Lord. Thank you for being such a good God, Lord. Thank you for being such a good God to us that we did not deserve your mercy, Lord. Lord, I lift this day up to you, Lord, in praise, Lord, and thanksgiving, Lord. And let it have it your way. Let it be your way in this service today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. those hands together with me. Come on. We're going to teach you this new song. It says, be my love, Jesus. I want you to be our love. There's no other love like yours. Hallelujah. Oh, it's from the valley low. From the valley low to the darkest place. To the highest heights of the mountain face. And the rhythm of 
burning for you this afternoon, God. It's burning, Father God, because your presence is here with us, Lord. Your word says that you inhabit our praise. Your word says, oh God, that you draw near to us when we draw near to you. And God, today you got some people here. You got a church, oh God, that is drawing near to you. We're drawing close to you, God, because there's no other love that we can find in this world, oh God, that's like yours. We draw near because there's no other source, oh God, of peace and strength and joy, God, other than you, God. That's why we're here today. That's why we've come, Lord, is because we found no love like yours. We found no presence like yours. We found no satisfaction like being with you, Jesus. Come on, if that's your heart, can you just tell him right now, say, God, there's no one like you. There's no one like you, God. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you in this place, Jesus. There's no love like yours, God. There's no love like yours, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. We love you, Lord. God, we thank you, Lord, that we can be in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we can find our rest, our peace in you. God, where we're standing right now is exactly where we need to be, Lord. Where we're standing right now in your presence is where we belong, God. We belong with you. We belong in your presence. We belong at your feet. So right now, all over this room, let me encourage you right now to start focusing, start looking to Jesus. Can you just close your eyes all over this room right now? Just tell him, God, this is exactly where I want to be. Where I need to be is right here with you in your presence. Yes, you have loved me way before I knew you remaining faithful when I was not. I can rest in your peaceful presence. My heart is
you need the next best thing but today let me tell you that in this place in the presence of God you have all that you need and not only do you have that you have more than enough the Bible says that there's a river that flows inside of you and that it's never gonna run dry and this afternoon if you feel like your river is running dry if you feel a little bit empty today if you came kind of dragging your feet let me tell you there's a river flowing this afternoon to you there's a river flowing to quench every thirst in this place and the requisite the only requirement is a heart that's going to reach out to him so right now before we say this again i want you if you've got a hungry heart here if we got a dry heart can you just raise those hands to the sky like a conduit come on like a like a little wire going up to heaven and we're gonna say holy spirit flow in me come on can you just say that can you say holy spirit flow in me right now and just start thanking him just start saying i love you god come on refreshing is coming to you right now when you do that refreshing is coming 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 flowing flowing to overflow to overflow 
There's joy this afternoon for you. in love with you, Jesus. How many lovers of Jesus do I have in this room today? Come on. As we remain in this attitude of worship, I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 and onward. 
And I want you guys to get this vision of Jesus. The one that we call Savior. The one that we call King of kings and Lord of lords. The one that's coming back. The one that is the lover of our soul. The one who created us. And we're going to sing that song again in adoration of this beautiful man. That song I'm reminded of, I'm in love with a man. I'm in love with a lion. I'm in love. And he, the, his, his name is God. He is God. He's 100% God, 100% man. And he depicts 100% love. This is the Apostle John speaking. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. The Apostle John was in, on the island of Patmos, and Jesus Christ gave him a revelation of himself, of heaven, and what, of what was to come. And so when he turned around, he wanted to see the voice that was speaking to him. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Haiti. Friends, if you're in this place today, I want to let you know that we serve a God that is alive. A God who has a sword coming out of his mouth. A God whose face shines like the sun. And I want to challenge you today, fall in love with your God. of worship and adoration with you, O oh God. We as your people today, we say, Jesus, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are the one that we want, and we want to exalt your name and make you big. Hallelujah, Jesus. Receive the glory that is due your name. And everybody said, 
Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. He is so good. We serve an awesome God. You may be seated. Look to your neighbor say, I'm so glad you're here. Praise the Lord. We thank you all. We welcome you to Metro Praise International. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here. And at this time, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Look to your neighbor and say, she's got good news. I have the good news of the gospel, and it's all about Jesus. If you're in this place and you're not right with God, you've not been born again, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today is your day to get it right, to come before the Lord and say, I need you to be my Savior. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 35, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. This is Jesus, okay? He called the crowd, he called his disciples, and he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So if you've been wishy-washy, going back and forth, or just full out, like just rejecting God and his commands, I want to let you know that you are not promised tomorrow and you are not promised eternity in heaven. In order to be with Jesus, to be his disciple, to be his follower, to, to spend eternity with him in heaven one day, because we will all leave this earth. Maybe at best our 70 years on this life, whatever we've lived for, we're going to pay the price for it at the end. And if all we've lived for was ourself, our own selfish gain, the only thing that awaits us is hell. Because if we can't live for God here on earth and serve him, why would we want to be with him in heaven? And his challenge is, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Because if you want to save your life on this earth by doing it your way, you're going to lose it at the end. But if you lose your life today, you lay it down and you say, God, I'm going to lay my life down so I can take the life that you have for me, you'll find it. So if that's you today, you know God is speaking to you. Get it right today. With all eyes closed all across this room, I want us to get into an attitude of prayer. We're going to pray, and you're going to get it right with God. If you know he's speaking to you, you know he's tugging on your heart to lay it all down, to lose your life so that you can find it in him. I want you to pray as I begin to pray. You pray to Jesus in your own words and say, God, I'm going to get it right. I give you control. I need you to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Come and live inside of me. I will hold nothing back. God, I thank you for every single person in this room who is hearing the message of the gospel. I ask, oh Lord, that your words would pierce to their heart, that they would accept it, that they would apply it, that they would believe it as truth, oh God, and turn and be healed and be saved and be forgiven, that your blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary, oh God, would cover them and make them new, that they would be born again in the spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. You can please stand up to your feet with me. If you prayed a prayer like that, you know you need to get right with Jesus today. We have prayer workers right here, our deacons, Augustine and Nandri. During the fellowship time, they will love to pray with you, to encourage you, to let you know how to get plugged into the church and get discipled. So that is available for you in just a few moments. 
At this time, we're going to recite our confession of faith. The reason why we do this every week is because this is our Christian worldview, and we want to scream it from the rooftops. We want to declare this. Amen? So let's recite this together on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. In the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life, I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Clap it up for Jesus. Spend some time meeting people. Shake somebody's hand that you've never met. the love. Are you guys feeling the love today? Welcome, welcome. Who's excited to be at church? Come on. We thank you all for joining us. What a powerful time in God's presence. We welcome you to Metro Praise International. 
If this is your first time, welcome. We want you to keep seeing you come back, get plugged in. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then we have Elevate every Friday at 7 p.m. for ages 11 to 18 years old. Thank you for that backup music. That was really good. 11 to 18 years old. If you're in that age group, you got to be here on Friday nights. We want you guys to join us next week. It's right around the corner, November 15th, for our All Nations Dinner. We're going to get it up there so we can get excited and pumped up. It's coming. All Nations Dinner, November 15th, next week for both services, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. How many of you guys know what you're bringing? That's awesome. I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do to represent Greece. So my husband's going to represent Italy with cannolis. So come on, bring your yummies and your hungry tummies, and we're going to have a fun time, okay? So if you didn't know about that, now you know. Invite your friends and family. It's going to be such a wonderful time of fellowship and hanging out. Then we want you guys to know about our Thanksgiving outreach we do annually. It's going to be November 26th, Thanksgiving morning at 9.30 a.m. Meet here at MPI with your family, your friends, whoever wants to do it. Then we're all going to drive together to, to the west side, like Ohio Park, Cicero area. Uh, Ohio Street in Cicero on the west side. And we're going to join MB Universal Church to hand out a free Thanksgiving meal to the community there. So if you want to be a part of that, meet here 930 Thanksgiving morning. And let's go out with a bang, all right? Let's do it together. God is going to do awesome things. Our vision here is very simple. It's loving God, loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us to live by. Our discipleship strategy is threefold. Connect, mentor, send. How many of you guys want to know how to get connected to MPI? Come on. Turn your handouts around. You'll see the schedule of our life groups for this quarter. We want you to connect to Jesus and to the church through these life groups. Somebody say life groups. I want to encourage you to find a place that will meet the needs of you and your family. There's so many different types of life groups, places, and times. Find one to grow in, to get encouraged in, and to make friends in. Because you're, you're not meant to do this alone. So you want the church to be around you. Here's a snapshot of what's happening this week. Today we're kicking it off with the single moms. Come on, 5 p.m., child care is included. They're doing awesome, going after God. This Wednesday is our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old. Every week at 6.30 here at the church, parents drop off your children. It's a powerful time for them. This Thursday, we have our gang outreach meeting, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. at that address. They're going out every week. Every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies for you guys. One is at the Govea's house, the other one at the Walker's house. 18 years and up, 7 p.m., those are the addresses. Um, that's, that's where you want to be if you're an adult. Make friends. Get, get encouraged by the word of God. Uh, get into the fellowship. That's where we want you guys to be if you're an adult. And then every Saturday we have our evangelism team that goes out. All ages are welcome for that. Meeting here at the church on Saturdays at 5 p.m. Go out there if you've never done it. You'll be encouraged, preaching the gospel on the streets and winning souls for the Lord. And then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We want to take you through our 101 book called Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to take you through this one-on-one -on -one at your pace so that you can grow your walk with Jesus. And when you graduate the 101, you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we'll train you to be a leader in the church, one day to be an elder or a deacon so that we can send you out to win more souls so that we can see God's kingdom on this earth. Because how many of you guys know Jesus is coming back and he wants all men to be saved? Our goal then is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you want to do that, say amen. Look to your neighbor say, got to do it with me. Look to your other neighbor say, don't leave me hanging. Come on. We're going to be discussing 
from the Disciples Giving book. So we're going to be learning, rather, not discussing, maybe a little bit of both, learning about the hindrance of unbelief. We're on section four of the Disciples Giving book, which is all about hindrances that we are to overcome. Today is lesson three, overcoming unbelief. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. And how many of you guys know that we don't need hindrances in our life? We want to be fully obedient without any hindrance or roadblock so we can serve God wholeheartedly. Here's a scripture that we're going to be learning from, Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That sounds awesome. How many of you guys want that for yourselves? Here's how you get it. Number one, do you believe God commanded the tithe? If we don't believe God actually wants us to tithe, then we, don't, then we won't do it consistently because we will look at it more as paying a bill. And no one likes to pay bills. Somebody say, well... However, if we really believe God commanded us to give 10%, we will joyfully do it. And that's the thing about having a relationship with God rather than a religion. It's all out of a love relationship. And so when God commands it and we're in a relationship with him, we trust his word. We want to be obedient to him because we want to please him and bring him glory. We'll do it out of a joyful heart. Number two, do you believe God will bless your giving? Sometimes we think God is just wanting to play make-believe with us. Thus, we don't pray with faith to earnestly receive his best in our lives. However, if you truly believe your seed will meet your need, then you will give expecting a bountiful harvest with God. When you are giving faithfully, consistently, your tithes and your offerings, obeying the Lord in all that you do, you should be expecting a return, a bountiful return, his provision for your life. Because he is not a man that he should lie, and he is true to his word. And number three, do you believe in heaven? Many people, even Christians, forget that there is an actual place called heaven where God can open the floodgates and pour out blessing. Therefore, if more people believed in heaven, they would store more treasures there than just here on this earth. And that's the powerful thing about giving tithes and offerings is we're storing treasures there so that we could um, get a return one day, eternal, eternal rewards. And that's the most important thing. Here's a summary. Overcome unbelief in giving by putting your faith in who God is and what he promised to do. And let's apply this in three ways. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have not trusted and believed in God's word concerning giving. And three, ask God to increase your faith for both giving and receiving in his kingdom. So we want faith in giving and in receiving. Let's confess this over our life on the count of three if you want that. Number, uh, number one. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Let's stand up together on our feet this afternoon. As we prepare to give God our very best, our tithes and offerings, it is another act of worship unto him that is pleasing to him. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is a 10% of your total income, and an offering is anything above that. That is an amount between you and the Lord that you give joyfully and through in obedience, and we designate that towards missions and building funds. So we thank you for partnering with us. We're doing awesome things. The gospel is being preached all around the world, and uh, we're not meant to do it alone. It takes a group of people who are going to believe in God uh, and his promises to see this fulfilled. And so we want to give you guys a praise report on the building fund. 
clap it up as it comes up there. Come on, God is so faithful. In October, we raised $1,147. Okay, we started the beginning of this year with two building fund projects in mind. We wanted a new 12-passenger van, and we want that lit up sign. By God's grace and faithfulness, we are almost completed with both. So we only have $1,061 left. Do you guys want to know the challenge? Here's the challenge. We want to knock it out today. We're going to order the sign this week. We've already had people from the first service receive the challenge. And so we're, we have less than 1,000 at this point. And so the challenge is 10 people give 100 or 100 people can give 10. Whatever it is, that amount that you can give, we want to challenge you because I'm telling you, there's at least two or three people that are already given $100. So we are so close. We're ordering it this week. And we just want you guys to know that we thank you so much for partnering with us for what God wants to do. And then for the end of the year, we're not going to bring up anything. This was what we had in mind for 2015, a new van and the lit up sign. So we want to encourage you guys to keep giving, offering towards the missions or any other non-for-profit organization that you would like to give to towards the holidays. But nothing new is going to come up until 2016. So we did it. We're so close. Let's knock it out this week and just consider it done. And God provided more than enough. Amen. How many of you guys want to do that? Let's do it. Come on. We also have two other ways for you to uh, give or purchase items in the church with your debit or credit card. One is online at our easy-to-use website, and the other is with me. You can see me in the back. I'll be more than happy to assist you with that. Let's recite this verse together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your abundant provision for our lives. We thank you for all that you're doing, all that you're providing, and we will, um, we will believe, God, that your word is true and that you will provide for us. So we will have faith in giving and in receiving. We will come expecting big things, oh God, because you are a great God, and with, and with you all things are possible. So I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. Meet our needs according to your glorious riches, God. In your name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give today, and thank you so much for your generosity. many are ready to bless our campus pastor. Make some noise. Amen. You know, pastor appreciation was last month. We uh, were, I, Nancy and I were blessed. We were surprised by the leadership in a uh, Sunday school setting. Then in the second service, I surprised the next, the following week, I surprised the first service pastors. And then uh, Jerry and Tony have had a baby. Well, Jerry had a Tony and uh, <laughs> Jerry had a Tony. 
Oh, my gosh, so much on my mind. Jerry had a baby, and Tony helped. And then they missed yesterday, uh, last week yesterday. Let's just keep going with it. Let's give it up for Tony because he's our campus pastor, and we want to appreciate him and bless him. This is a gift card with some shekels in there. Now, those of you who know the Filipino people, this is a giant among the Filipino people. In our first service, we have the Aztec warrior, Pastor Berto, who everybody has to look up to. But this man right here is your Filipino warrior, but he's as gentle as a koala bear or a panda bear. What does your wife call you? She calls me a perilla, which is a combination of a panda and a gorilla. Oh, do we, oh, I was going to say, do we have any pictures on Facebook? Tell us about your baby. Put up some of the pictures here of the new baby, Nathan. As they're putting it up, tell us what's going on at home. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, like Pastor Joe uh, mentioned, uh, Jerry gave birth to a healthy baby boy, Nathaniel James Vivid is his name. Seven pounds, eight ounces, 22 inches long, and he is just a doll. And uh, if we could get a picture of him, you will see that he is undeniably mine. There's no denying it. He is my min my white mini-me, so to speak. But uh, he's good, man. I, I love him. I love him to death. And um, I actually, I, there was this moment where he was he just fell asleep on my chest. And I took a picture of him, and I was just like, man. I was like, it, it just it feels so good. I'm sure you've had that feeling, too. Where there he is. Yep. There he is. There is. There is. Yeah, that was the day he was born. So that that is yeah, undeniably my child. <laughs> so. Let's give it up for Tony. Thank you, bro. Appreciate you guys. You guys are the best. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 15. When can you get it set up for me? God is so good. Thank you guys for uh, being faithful to the second service. As you can see, we're growing here. We're also growing in the first service. I love seeing those who normally go to the first who can use this as an opportunity. If things are in your family come up, you can come here. So I love that. Feel free to switch back and forth. But uh, this is a wonderful time to be a part of our church. We have been growing and experiencing new things in God. And I just want to thank you as your pastor. I want to thank you for all that you've given towards that building fund. You know, you, you may look at us. We're a young church, a lot of young adults. And, you know, there's not a lot of people with great wealth. Though you never know. You might be sitting next to a millionaire because they dress casual too. But, you know, just everyday average people are in this church. That's how I look at it. That's how I am. And yet we were able to buy a new van, to have a total of two vans doing transportation all across this city, helping out everybody from adults and families coming to Sunday to children coming on Wednesdays, youth coming on Fridays, taking trips down south to do missionary work and uh, the things that we do in New Orleans. And now with this sign, you know, we had six months to do it, and we're going to knock it out today. I want to thank you. My wife and I, we've committed 100. Others have been doing it. We're going to count up all the shekels today, and we're going to post it on the uh, Facebook page to let you know the total. Because they said, you know, Joe, we'll do it for you if you put half the money down, okay? So $4,500, I could have came to them a long time ago, and they would have done it, and then we could have paid them off, et cetera. But I don't believe in doing things like that. I want to do it in excellence, okay? And so even just a 
1,000 missing, I don't want to call them to come do it. I want to know we have it all from start to finish, and I'll tell you what, I want to call them tomorrow, okay? And so very seldom do we ever do stuff like this. You know us, as, as my wife said, when the year ends, we're not even going to talk about more stuff and say, oh, well, we got eight weeks left or six weeks left in the year. Let's buy some more stuff. No, we want you guys as a church to feel that sense of accomplishment. And let me just share another testimony about this. You know, um, Jose's uh, family, Jose, would you raise your hand there in the back? His family testified to me, and it blessed me so much. I'm going to cry if I think about it too long, so I maybe should just tell the story quickly here. But uh, we were in a meeting, and she was sharing her heart. And you know what she said? She said, you know, giving tithes and offerings is hard for me sometimes. You know, it's not always easy. But she said, I am reminded that when I first walked into these doors, somebody before me paid that I might be there. They paid for the rent to be paid, the lights to be on, the chairs to be there. And because of that, she said, my whole family has come to know Jesus. My sons, myself, you know, and it made, made me just think about that. Yes, you guys have come to this church, and there's been no sign there. But think about how many people now are going to know there's a church in the community as they're zipping by diversity, seeing that beautiful lit-up sign. It is literally going to cover the entire length of our three storefronts. So if you see, here's a door, there's a door. That's two storefronts. The third door is there. This has been remodeled pretty nice. It looks nice, just the old storefronts. It used to be an old dollar store. Before that, it was an Italian restaurant, you know. I guess there was the cooks, the chefs back there. I don't know what they were doing. That's why there's the holes back there. But it's good to have a church here today. Amen? And so I just want to say, it doesn't matter what you give. Just give your best. And uh, you know what? If you can't give your best, ask your neighbor if you can give their best for them, okay? Ask if you can borrow their wallet. Say, neighbor, I don't have a lot to give my best. But you know what? Can I give your best on your behalf? Uh, you know, and I'm just kidding. Half kid. Just don't do it and get in trouble. But, um. But no, but I, I just want to say thank you because all of us have to deal with finances in our life. And to know our goal has been set in November, that is amazing. Amen. So thank you for that. Let's go into our uh, sermon today. We're in a series called Abide. Today's message is Daily Abiding. Everybody say Daily Abiding. Thank you. In John chapter 15, we see Jesus talking about Abide. Follow along with me here. Every time you hear the, uh, or see the word Abide, would you say it out with me? Can everybody say Abide. Okay, so read it out with me. Let's participate together. John 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus talking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You already are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Thank you. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, verse 5 and onward, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And listen to these last two verses as we read them. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You think Jesus is trying to get us to see something here? I mean, it's pretty clear Jesus wants us to abide. Ten times in ten verses that word is used out of our Savior's mouth. The word abide means to remain, to stay, to be in a place of connection. Just like how uh, a fan is plugged into an electrical outlet and it has to stay connected for the fan to work, we need to be connected to Jesus. We're not an agricultural people, but I'm sure we understand Jesus' illustration here. But I got a picture. That big old stick thing in the middle is called the vine. Everybody say vine. It's big and thick. That's where it goes into the ground and brings the life force to the branches. These uh, branches are green and bud forth the life. From that comes also the leaves and then the fruit. And this is what God is telling us. Jesus is saying, I am the vine. I am the source of life. You cannot have life outside of me. Then you are these branches. And then what comes out of these beautiful branches is fruit. And last week we talked about the different kinds of fruit in the Bible that, the, that, that we should have in our lives that Jesus considers to be good things. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of good works. The Bible says you should have the fruit of good works in your life. Also, the fruit of success. We should have success in our life. And that is a part of growing in Jesus. And then lastly, uh, one of the most important kind of fruit we should have in our lives is the reproduction of ministry and discipleship. We are disciples and we should be making disciples. And we'll be spending a whole sermon just on that subject because that's actually what most theologians believe Jesus meant here in fruit. Because if you look at the, uh, the passage, everything else is explained. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. So who's the true vine? Jesus. My father is the vine dresser, dressing the vine or the gardener. So who's the gardener? The father. Okay. Every uh, branch that b uh, bears fruit gets, to, uh, gets pruned and it bears more. And then he says uh, further down that you are the branches here in, um, where does it say in the branches? I just lost my spot. Verse 5. Thank you. I am the vine and who are the branches? We are the branches. So Jesus is the vine. The Father is the gardener. We are the branches. And then he talks about fruit. Look, there's no definition of fruit there. He doesn't say, and the fruit is this. So as I showed you last week, there's a lot of good things the Bible calls fruit in the Bible. But the number one that they probably think he is talking about here is actually the fruit of you producing more disciples in Christ. Just like a healthy father and mother produce offspring, healthy Christians should be producing new healthy Christians in their life. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Well, who was he telling that to, to go make disciples? What were those people called? disciples. So he said to disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. When God created the earth, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So we should be multiplying as healthy families do to populate the earth, and we should be multiplying in the church by making new disciples. But you know what? There's something here. I don't know if you can see it, but there's something here in this picture that speaks to the part of this passage that's the one that we don't really like to talk about a lot in the church. 
And I don't know if you can see it, but there's a little leaf right here that's struggling. Does anybody see that struggling leaf? I don't know from your point of view, but it's more dead than alive, and it's missing parts, and you can see right through it. Well, what does the Bible say the gardener, the vine dresser does with those kind of leaves? Come on, somebody say snip, snip. Amen. He says he prunes them so that they can, the vine can bear more fruit. And this is going to be one of the tough messages of this lesson, but I know we're going to love it because the Bible says we should love knowledge, we should love discipline. But I'm just wondering today, it's not today's message, but in this quick introduction, I just wonder today how many of us need things pruned out of our lives. I wonder if there's a little attitude in our lives trying to pop its way out and get us distracted from serving God. And I'll confess to you, I had a little bit of road rage this week. I had to go to seminary. Thank you guys for praying for me. Had to go all week for my doctoral classes. Hour and a half there to Deerfield from Elgin and an hour and a half back, okay? And uh, I, I did good all of those days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I did great. And then believe it or not, here comes Friday. I met a friend from Germany. His name was Stefan, and he was here in the first service and taught us some German. Okay, it's a good guy. And uh, I told him, I said, I'm going to go shooting guns Friday. Do you want to come? And he said, yeah, I'll come with you. So we went to go shoot all these guns in Wisconsin outdoors, and I, I love that stuff. And I had to go pick him up, and it was just like the devil said. I think if I can get him one more time in a traffic jam, if I can just get this pastor one more time. He made it Monday. He made it through Tuesday. He made it through Wednesday. He made it through Thursday. But if I can just get him one more time, I can get him to sin, you know. So here comes that old devil through a person driving a car. Now, that person driving the car wasn't the devil, but they sure made me mad. I'm telling you what. It's one of those situations. I was driving in those back roads to Deerfield. The two lanes merge into one. It's those little country roads. And this person just, oh, man, they came in so sharp to cut in right at the last minute. Just, you know, come right in. And I thought they were going to hit me. I'm a father of four, and I'm like, man, you're such an idiot. And I'm like honking the horn, and I'm not going to tell you what else I did. That's between me and God. That's between me and God. But I can tell you I'm forgiven. The Lord had to snip that. The Lord had to snip it out of me. And so I'm just wondering, is there anybody else here today that needs some things snipped out? So get ready to learn these things as we go through our sermon series. We're going to learn about bearing fruit, discipleship, and being a leader. We're going to learn about getting things pruned out of our lives. And maybe we'll even talk just about the father, the gardener, and how everything in your life is father-filtered. You know, when you turn on that water spout, uh, you know, the faucet, it all comes through that spout right there, and there's a little filter right in there. Have you ever seen that in your house? And sometimes it gets clogged, and you got to go up there and get it. But a lot of times we go through life, and we just wonder where God is. But you know what? God's right there in the midst of it. Everything is father-filtered. God is the filter for our life. And I know sometimes we think it's unfair, but maybe I'll talk a little bit about the gardener because we don't think he's there in the hard times, but he's really there the most, and he's wanting us to trust him. Can I get an amen on that? Well, today on the daily abiding, this is really going to be uh, my best effort to help busy American, Chicagoan people just like you and me find a de-stress valve in our life, to find a peace, to find a way to time manage, to find a way to balance it all out. This is my best way of doing it. Are you guys ready for it? Okay, <laughs> that was like the biggest letdown right there. 
Like I'm like building this thing up in a massive way. I've spent so long making these charts. They look so simple, but I spent so long making these charts. Are you guys ready? Can I hear an amen? Come on, I need you to encourage me here. It's not always easy under the hot lights. Sometimes, you know, I, get, I feel like I'm cooking up here. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so everybody say abide in Jesus' love. Thank you. Remember, that's what Jesus said. He said that we need to abide in his love. So this is the way I want you to look at your life. You centering your life on the love of Jesus. Isn't that so precious? Let's not let that pass us by without getting the full meaning of that. Jesus didn't say, prove that you love me, and I'll let you know at the end of your life if I love you back. He could have said that, couldn't he? He could have said, look, I don't know if you're going to heaven, but you better work at it, and you better work hard. And when you die, I'll tell you if you made it in or not. But that's not what he does. He doesn't say, abide in all of my good works. He says, abide in my love. This sounds to me like someone who loved us at our worst, not just at our best. And the Bible even confirms that, that God demonstrates his love for us, that he sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. So love is the motivation. So today, if you're thinking you're not good enough, if you're thinking you can't do enough, God is saying, that's not how I judge you. I judge you based on my character, and my character for you is love. The Bible says in 1 John, God is love. And then in that famous wedding passage of 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is patient, love is kind. Have you heard that before? It ends by saying love never fails. So if God is love and love never fails, God never fails. God's love never fails. And so I love it as the old timers used to say, God loves you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. So this isn't a performance to earn his love. This is a receiving of the love and a transformation that comes from it. When I fell in love with my wife, it wasn't the black and white um, of uh, romance novels or something that made me stay in love with her. It was, it was the love that I felt for her day to day. And then as we got married, it, it's not the, the marriage covenant or some marriage certificate that keeps me from cheating on her. It's the love I have in my heart. And you can't hold that in your hand, paint it red and make a photo photocopy of it. It's in here. It's in the inner nature of us, what we call our soul. And it's that same place that Jesus says, I want you to abide with me. So the same way fathers and mothers, like Tony says, I fell in love with my son the moment I met him. That's where I want you to be with me. I want you to love me in that way. How many have experienced a deep love like that? Whether it's for your parents or for your children or for a brother or sister, have you experienced that? That's what Jesus is talking about, a deep love. Now, there is a little part here where Jesus brings up commandments. Now, we shouldn't get all upset with Jesus be like, oh, no, you're taking away the fun now. Like as if love doesn't have borders. Love has borders. Aren't you happy that love has a definition, that love has borders? Because otherwise, the child molester could say he loves his victims, right? Hitler could say he loved the people he was, uh, you know, promoting the, the, the race and killing off the Jews. This was all done for love. He was just a good Fuhrer. He was a good guy. You see, love without boundaries could become the most evil of all things. So love by itself without boundaries is meaningless and evil, actually. So love has to come with boundaries. So our God is love. His love never fails. But where did the boundaries come in? Look again to that passage, John 15, 9. As the Father have loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, amen, you will abide in my love. 
So abiding in the love of Jesus is not living on some hippie commune, growing out our hair long, swapping each other's wives and husbands and having uh, all of our things in common. No, that, that would be scary, and that's called a cult. How many are glad we're not doing that today? Okay, not commu- no communal living here, no sex cult here. But what we are to do is keep his commandments. But now watch this. This is what I love about Jesus. He's a master communicator. Well, the moment you think commandment, what are you thinking? Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? That's the first thing. I know that's what comes into my mind is a bunch of these thou shalt not. And at this moment, you almost feel like on the inside this pressure like, oh, man, that's going to be hard. You know, that's going to be hard. Maybe we're pretty good at murder. Now, how many here have ever murdered anybody? Okay, so we're all doing pretty good at murder. So funny looking at your reactions. You're like, who is going to raise their hand here? And if you have murdered somebody, I'm glad you didn't raise your hand because you would freak us all out, okay? Somebody's like, I just got out the pen, serving 20 years to life. They just let me out. Glory to God. I don't know if we're praising God for that testimony. You're out. Well, we might want you still in. Anyways, um, we're all pretty good like I haven't murdered anybody. But, okay, how have you done with anger? The Bible says if you're angry with, angry with your brother, cursing them out, that's the same as murder. See, now we kind of hang our head down. We're not so proud anymore, are we? We don't think we're doing it so well. Same thing is with lust. You know, how often do you lust? Same thing is with covetousness. How often do you struggle with jealousy? Children, obeying your parents, how, how, how well have you done that? How about not taking the Lord's name in vain, not blaspheming? How, how have you done with that? See, when we look at those commandments now, all of a sudden we want to hang our heads down and go, Jesus, I'm not good enough. And if I'm not good enough to keep all these commandments, that must mean I can't abide in your love. That's sad. But watch. Jesus said there are two greatest commandments in all of the commandments. He said the first one is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see how that just changes your emotion to the commandment? You say, I could do that. Okay, I get that. Yeah, I can love you like you love me. I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. I can do that. I can love my neighbor as myself if you'll help me. If you will be the vine, if you will be the life source, if you will be the one that encourages me, leads me not into temptation but delivers me from evil, if you're the one that prunes me when I'm going off into a bad direction, I can do that. So Jesus teaches us how to keep those commandments and how to abide in his love. It's all about our desire to love him back. That's how I keep God's commandments. So now let's put those commandments in their proper place with thinking about love. Okay, Blasphemy, taking the name of the Lord in vain. If I love God and I stub my toe, am I going to want to abuse his name? No, because I love him. You ever think about how the devil tricked us into taking the name of the Lord in vain instead of Hitler? Why is it when we stub our toe we don't go, oh, Hitler, but we curse out our God? Isn't the devil such a liar and a trickster, that old devil, that serpent? He tricks us. Here we're taking the name of our Lord and Savior in vain, and he's the God of the universe, and yet the very evil people of this world, we don't even say their name. See, the devil, he knows there's power in that name, and I've seen it in other countries and even here. When you speak that name, things can happen. Things happen in the spiritual realm. Evil spirits will flee. Sometimes people's bodies get healed. There's a real power when you believe in the name of Jesus, and the uh, the world, the devil, wants us to become numb to it by taking it in vain all of the time. Well, that one becomes a little bit easier when I think about love. Well, how about this, going to church on Sunday? The Bible says to not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. Well, if I love God, don't I want to come here? 
isn't this where I want to be? And look at how many young adults are here, and yet there's churches all across this city that can't get young adults to come, and yet so many of them come on their own. Just like this morning, a skateboarder came in with this skateboard. You know, there's so many people trying to get those kids to come in, yet they come here on their own. Same thing with you. You guys are all working. You're all busy. You came here this morning. Why? I hope it's because you love God. Now, what about the other ones with loving people? If I love people, will I steal from them? Will I? If I love people, will I be corrupted on my job and cost them their 401Ks? You remember Enron? If I love God and I love people, I can't do that. How about cheating on my wife? If I love her as I love myself, can I do that? So here it is. Here's Jesus' solution to keeping all of the commands. Abide in my love and love me and love others, and these things will come naturally. These things will come as naturally to you as a branch bearing forth grapes. Does that grape have to try really hard today? I want to bear a grape. Help me, help me, help me. And then there comes a grape. Or is it a part of a natural cycle? It's a part of a natural cycle that when that branch is in that vine and there's being pruning so all disease things are taken out, it will naturally bring forth that fruit. As you love God, as you love people, as you abide in the knowledge of the love of God, what he did for you on that cross. That's why we tell that gospel story here every Sunday. As you abide in that, the commandments of God will not be a burden to you. They will not be burdensome, the Bible says, but rather they will be a joy to your soul. I challenge you one day to read Psalms 119. David went through the Hebrew alphabet like how we learn the alphabet, like A is for apple, B is for boy, something like that. You know, As we learn these things, he went through the entire Hebrew alphabet in Psalms 119, and every letter he wrote about how much he loved the law of God. The law of God was written with the Hebrew alphabet. He said, I love you so much, God. I'll take every letter out the alphabet, and I'll start a portion of a psalm and talk about how much I love the law of God. How many just want to see one of those real quick? Just go to Psalms 119 right now, and you'll see about how much David loved the law of God. I have it from here today, Jose. Thank you, sir. Turn 119 just so you can see how much David loved the law of God. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of God. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. You know how many of the righteous laws there were in the Old Testament? 613, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. So B for Beth is how they started their alphabet. And that's where he started with the word blessed. And you can go through all of these psalms and you can start to see, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount them, all the laws that come from my mouth. You see all of these things that he said about the law of God? This is how we should consider it. Can I hear an Amen. So now we understand that, but now let's get into our life. And here is that chart that I was telling you about that I took some time on. When you look at your life, you're going to look at probably five major categories. Your family, your discipleship, your devotion to God. Number three, your work. Number four, your responsibilities. And number five, your goals. This is pretty much your life in this format as a chart. And what I want you to see is that right in the center of your life needs to be abiding in Christ's love 
obeying his commandments to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. As you do that, you will bear fruit from the center of your life. So think about this inner part right here being the vine cut right down the middle. There's this vine like an artery, and out of that vine comes all of this healthy life. You see that? And so I want you to believe with me today that God wants fruitfulness in your family, that he wants it in your walk with the Lord, in your work life. He wants you to be responsible, bearing fruit, and setting goals. You know, my parents cannot get out of the Midwest fast enough to their retirement home in Florida. Now, how many can say goals? You ever hashtag that goal? Somebody may want to have the goals that my parents achieved in their retirement age. My dad's going to be 70 this year, so he worked almost his whole life. Somebody say goals. And when they left to go to Florida, it's an 18-hour drive. They didn't stop. They didn't do nothing. They drove it all at once. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you guys impressed me. But you know what they wanted to get away from? was from our dark cloud cover that was settling in those last couple of days and those leaves falling off. And all of a sudden, you guys are all hating on them right now, but that's okay. And all of a sudden, they get there. They're taking the pictures of the palm trees and all of that. But you know what? That took setting a goal. My dad started working at a young man as a young man, and he made that as a goal. I want to retire, and this is how I want to be in life. And see, goals are important. If we don't set them, we'll never hit them. And we'll wonder why we're aimless in life. Goals are important. So put all this together and begin as you're taking your own notes. Think about things you want to be fruitful in these areas. What kind of family do you want? It's funny because my daughters already know the kind of wedding dress they want to wear at their wedding, and they're already only six and five years old. And that's not just for ju- uh, little children. That's also for young adults. I have young adults in this church, 20, 25 years old, and they already know the kind of wedding dress they want, but they don't know the kind of man they want. You see, you've got to set the right kind of fruitfulness and the right kind of uh, things you want to achieve in your family. What kind of family do you want? What do you want your marriage to look like? How do you want him to respect you, and how do you want uh, her to respect you? You know, vice versa, how do you want the, the, the husband and wife dynamic to work? What about children? How many children do you want? Where do you want to live? What kind of places do you want to grow up, have your children grow up? What kind of school do you want them to be in? Do you want to homeschool them, private school, public school? Have you stopped and thought about this? Because this is abiding in Christ. God cares about these things. And it's when we get to that next rung, distractions, we move out of fruitfulness and we get into distractions and we feel like we're that gerbil running so fast, giving it everything we have, but we're not moving in life. And the problem with that is, is that can happen to Christians just as it does non-Christians. We get discouraged when we don't achieve things in our life. And then there are things that will bring death. And using family as an example here, a divorce can bring death to a family. Now, single moms or those who have gone through it, fathers here, please don't hear me, uh, hear me say that it is dead in the sense that you can't have a resuscitation or a resurrection, but what you once started is now dead and you have to do something else. If the divorce has been done, that means you're not living with that person anymore. That marriage is dead. That's what I mean by dead. That now means that the idea of the child growing up with the biological mother and father, that picture is dead. You guys get that? And so we got to be careful. We don't want to enter into covenants that we want that will one day break. Now, all those here that have had divorces, there's new life if you start again. But remember, when you start again, you're there too. And if you haven't fixed you, you'll bring your problems with you and end up at the same place of death. That's why people were having divorces two and three at a time. And then now in this generation, they say, well, why even get married to begin with? 
let's just save our time and money now. Hello. But see, that's what's happening in families. And so what I want you to look at at this chart is that not only are there clear things that I can say, this is fruitful, this is a distraction, this is that. No, in a lot of ways, they're actually all the same, but they're misused. Let me give you an example. It is fruitful for me to take my children to events and hobbies that they like to do. If they like to go to the park, as they get older to go to soccer practice, that can be very fruitful and beneficial in their life. Are you tracking with me? But if I begin to put those events above them going to church, above them having family time, and now I don't see my kids. My kids can't go to church on Sunday because there's soccer games on Sunday. I know parents like that. Hello. Now it's become a distraction. That soccer game has moved away from just being a fruitful activity for their life, and now it's distracting my family from the goal, the goal and the purpose of a family, which is to glorify God and raise up productive young people for the Lord. Hello. And then if I'm not careful by prioritizing those things, now death will come. And as they get older, they'll say, well, mom and dad never prioritized church. I could skip for sports all the time. Now that I'm 18 years old going to U of I college, why go anyways? And there comes death. So what we do matters. How we live matters. Christ is telling us, abide in him. Don't move out from there. Don't disconnect yourself from there. And what I think God gives us as a mercy is conviction that we, when we get into that gray area, it's it's not a sin, it's not death yet, but we know that it's not bearing fruit. God is trying to speak to us there. And so what I really want you to do is learn how to discern for yourself where am I bearing fruit in these areas of my life and where have I been the donkey with the carrot in front of me and I'm just getting distracted and getting off target. Hello. You see, when I was making this, I was going to come up with a whole lot of very specific things. But then I began to think to myself, if I start telling you, uh, you know, uh, children should only play one sports, and then after two sports, it's a distraction. Three sports is a death. Then no longer will you be abiding in Christ's love. You'll be abiding in my personal opinion. And that's not what I should do as a pastor, not teach you how to abide in my personal opinion. You need to learn the relationship of abiding in Christ's love. And so you'll feel it in your heart as you start living life with God if this, as this is your perspective. Some of you have already, you know what I'm talking about. So, so for example, when my wife and I want to spend time with our kids, we can get into the habit of going to a place, spending some money, going to, um, you know, this, uh, the jungle place at Woodfield Mall. What's that place called? Does anybody have any kids? Has anybody ever gone to Woodfield with their kids? Rainforest Cafe, thank you. You are awesome. Just another bonus for you, Maria. Thank you. Don't hate on Maria. She's always saving the day. Let's give it up for Maria. She's awesome. And thank you. But guess what? It becomes a distraction when I can't afford it, and now I'm pulling out my credit card. Because now I have to do it because my kids are expecting me to do it. And it was fruitful the one time we went there, but now every time they ask me to go there, I feel like i got to take them, right? That can become a distraction. And now imagine if I'm a dad that's hardly ever home, and then now I think I owe it to them. Is it any wonder so many people get into debt? I don't think people get into debt thinking I'm irresponsible. What they're trying to do is fulfill obligations, 
that they feel if they don't do, they're breaking their word or some, somebody will suffer. Like Christmas, if I don't go in credit card debt and get these pair of shoes for my kids, they're going to not have the best, and I need them to have the best. And you see, what was once fruitful is now becoming a distraction. Because why can't you just go to Goodwill and get some shoes? See, something has changed in your mindset, and God is trying to tell you, no, get back to fruitfulness. Get back to fruitfulness. But let's say I don't do it, and let's say now every time my daughter wants to go to Rainforest Cafe, she goes, and then she pulls on my heartstrings, and so now she wants to shop at the designer kids store, which there is a designer kids store. I don't know if you know about that. There is. I was shocked when I saw the prices. I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, Walmart has like $15 for three of these, three T-shirts for $15. You want like $20 for one, hello. But all of a sudden, guess what happens? Now materialism comes into my daughter's life, and now she can only equate happiness with spending money. And it all started because I got distracted by not being able to say, no, can't go to Rainforest Cafe today. But you know what? We'll pack up some lunches from the house, and we'll go to the local park, and we'll just have fun out there. You see, that's fruitfulness. That's training ourselves, hearing from the Lord. And I have a lot of points to share with you, but I want to just build this out because it's not just about my points to help you think in this. I really want you to know how to abide in Christ as I'm abiding in Christ, as I'm preaching to myself. You know, you get into the next one, discipleship, you know, our walk with God, our, our, our serving with Jesus. And you can get to this point where it's like, you know, if I love Jesus and then there's 10 life groups going on, maybe I should go to all 10 life groups because that's how you love Jesus. And that becomes now a distraction because God knows you also got to go home and do laundry. God knows you also got to go home and pay the bills. And so you're thinking, I'm doing good. I'm going to church. I'm at this life group. I'm at this life group. And then before you know it, you're distracted by doing things for God that you're not being who God wanted you to be. Christianity is not just about being. It's about doing. I mean, I was using the wrong word. It's not just about doing. It's about being. Everybody say, be cool. Amen. Thank you. And see now, look at now the pastor. Look at my life in this. Okay, so I love you. And when I go out with you and I hang out with you, I bear fruit in your life. I talk to you. I bear fruit. But then all of a sudden, if I did it for you, now I got to do it for you. And then now I got to do it for you. And last week, we had 220 people in this church. You know how many weeks there are in a year? There's only 52 weeks in the year. That means if I want to do it every time with you, I can't even spend time now with my family. Hello. So what started off as pastor wants to be there for you, for you, now becomes a distraction when I'm no longer hearing God say, pastor has to shut down the office and be a father. And I know pastors who have lost their ministries trying to please people. You see, a lot of times people can come to a church and go, well, the pastor should do this, the pastor should do that. And, yeah, pastors are responsible for a lot. But listen, if I did everything you wanted me to do, that would mean I have to do what everybody else says I want to do. And I'll tell you what, you wouldn't like that pastor, nor would my family. So what does a pastor have to do? i got to find what's fruitful for me. So, you know, the spring and summer, Nancy and I said, let's get together with people on Wednesday nights. And we'll drop off our kids at King's Kids. We'll start setting up uh, meetings with people. And so we went out for about 20 weeks. We're coming to the end of the year. Some of the people I booked like two and three months in advance. I got Rosie and Cynthia coming up. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm talking, we booked in advance. And by the time it's all said and done, I think I would have spent time with about 30 couples. But guess what? There's probably another 70 just here or at the other. They're saying, hold on, but I wasn't on that list. 
Why don't you do it again? But I can't do it again. My studies are now requiring more time. I have to rearrange my schedule. Do you see? And if we don't give each other grace, if you're not giving me grace, what you're basically saying to me is, Joe, we want you to kill yourself for my benefit. But hold on. Now, I thought we already had one Savior. Do we need another Savior? I thought Jesus was our Savior. I thought he was the one who promised to never leave you nor forsake you. I thought he said that I dwell within you and I'm greater than all the things in the world. So really, when it comes down to a pastor, for me in the church, I've got to find where am I fruitful. What does my hours look like a week? How many are getting something out of this? Amen. As we begin to uh, go through this now uh, quickly, I want you to think about that because the idea is we are now going to abide in Christ. And we're going to have his words in our heart. And those are going to be the things that lead us by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that you will be able to ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. Why is God going to give us the, uh, you know, the limitless credit card of prayer and say, hey, anytime you pull down this card in prayer, I'm giving you whatever you want. Why is he going to do that? Because our prayers will only be what he wants. So people who say, Pastor, hey, I, I can disprove the Bible right now. And I go, okay, how are you going to do it? Well, the Bible says, you ask what you desire, and it shall be done. Pastor, I asked for a Ferrari last night. It wasn't done. There you go. Bible's wrong. Let's move on. Try another religion. Let's go see what Buddha's talking about. Jesus lied. No, because the verse before that is, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You see, then, then you ask and you get those things done. It's the same way of us speaking to our children. Anything you need, I'm going to help you with. Anything you need. And then they say, well, I need the new Air Jordans. No, 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 you don't need that. You need shoes. You need shoes, not Air Jordans. There's a difference. Get my words in your heart, kid. Come on. Right? There's a difference between needs and greeds. And what God is saying, I have what you need, not what you're greedy after. And so what we're doing here is we need to hear the word of God in these categories. And so just because I'm a bit of a micromanager in this sense, I didn't still make a list for you guys, uh, but I didn't want to get too specific. So just as an example, you'll see here in family, what does it look like to be fruitful? Love, family order, selflessness, etc. right? So I'm not being very specific, you know, have dinner at 5 o'clock every day. Always do your devotions with your kids on their knees by their bedside. What am I doing here? I am asking you to go back to God and let his words abide in you. Let God teach you how to do devotions. So let's get some main goals here in every one of these situations, and let's see what we should be aiming for. So let's go with family, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. How many want to learn about our families? Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We'll see Paul giving us the basic outline for a happy family. How many still believe the Bible? Amen. So if the Bible says something, we should listen to it, right? Okay. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the very thing we see here at the beginning of our family order is we better have some humility on us. Husbands need to be humble with their wives. Wives need to be humble with their husbands. Kids need to be humble with their parents. And parents need to be humble with their kids. Now he gets more specific. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now somebody may say, hey, you know, I'm an equal uh, partner in this. I make more money than my husband. Why should I listen to him? Well, because the Bible told you to do it, first of all. And second of all, you can't have a democracy with two votes. 
I have a vote, you have a vote. How do we settle it now? I say yes, you say no. What do we do? There's two people in charge of the marriage. One's a man, one's a woman. And Christ says, you talk it out. You work it through. You express your heart. But the last one, uh, the, the one who settles the vote is the husband. The last vote goes to the husband, and the wife says, I submit to that. Now, you'd say, well, you know what? I, you don't know my husband then. Well, you don't know the power of God then. Because I'm saying God could change your husband. If he physically abused you, don't have him be your husband. Leave him. Amen. Other than that, try to win him to the Lord. Now, those of you who are married to Christians, you can't use that as an excuse. There needs to be that order there. And the wife submitting is not her giving up her personality, acting that as if she doesn't have a voice. Does anybody think my wife doesn't have a voice? Does anybody not think I honor my wife? Do you not see her partnering with me in this church? My wife is just as much of a leader as I am. And if you doubt that, you won't like the conversation that comes next with her. You know what I'm saying? Because she can get sassy. But she'll still be nice. She'll let you think whatever, she'll let you think whatever you want. But I'm telling you, my wife has a lot of authority. But she still chooses in the house to let me have the final vote. Now I have to do that unto God. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior, not two heads, one heads. That's the example. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. And how many things? Everything. Let's say it like we mean it. Everything. Okay? But then look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if my wife is having to submit to me in everything, but I'm having to love her in every way like Christ loves the church, we're going to do the right thing every time. Hello, if my wife has to submit to me in everything as Christ does the church, as the church does the Christ, and I have to love her in every way, we will serve each other right every time. Every time. It's a fail-proof plan. Fail-proof plan. If I become a domineering husband, am I loving her as Christ loves the church? Did Christ grab you by the ear this morning and make you come to church? Hello, he gave you a free will, right? So he loves you, he's cared about you. But if you disrespect Christ, do you expect to go to heaven? No, so the husband wants respect, the wife wants love. They work together, mutual submission. Uh, and, and this is what the Bible gives us as an example. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her uh, to present her to himself as a radiant church. See, now we're getting the example of Christ in the church as like uh, husband and wife without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So the jerk or the inappropriate man who cheats on his wife, he's only hurting himself. That adulterous man's only hurting himself. He has to repent and change his behavior, does he not? How many believe adultery is a good thing? Can I see your hands? Okay, how many believe adultery is sin? Then let us live according to that. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will be united. And, uh, and to be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must also respect her husband. Now listen to this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. How many can I hear an amen for that? 
For this is right, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life upon the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. That's the same thing with mothers. Don't try to perfect them in your own strength. Tell them to go into the vine, otherwise your unreasonable standards will actually hurt them. Hello, that's a message for somebody. Receive it. Because a lot of times in our culture, we think we're going to force our children into, into Christianity, force them into college, and that will not work. Fathers, do not put heavy pressure on your children. Do not exasperate them. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So what are some distractions in the family that keep us from that? Busyness, just busy, 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 busy. Overspending, laziness, not doing what's right. What are some deaths that will just kill the goal of the family? Fighting, adultery, selfishness. Do you see how this is working out? We're fruitful here when we do what Paul said in Ephesians. When we get away from that, we start getting distracted. We'll start to realize that there's stress in our life, that we're mismanaging our time, that, that we're not talking to each other like we used to. And then when we get into this uh, range right here, we're getting to the point where we're hurting each other. And that's where we have to stop and say, Christ, be the center of it all. Bring me back to that place of loving you and loving others. There's a lot of other scriptures to go through here, but I'll just give you a few more. Let's talk about fruitful discipleship. How many want to see that? Amen. Let's go to Mark 3.14. Mark chapter 3, verse 14. Look at how Jesus talked about what our Christian walk would look like as his disciples. Okay? So if you just start in that verse 13 here, Jesus went up to a mountainside, called to, the, called to him those he wanted. They came to him. Somebody say, they came. See, he didn't force them to come. He said, hey, Peter, you want to come? Peter came. Hey, John, you want to come? They came. He appointed 12 that they may be with him and that he might send them out to what? Preach. But what was the first thing that Jesus wanted them to do? Be with him. So what is fruitful discipleship? Fruitful discipleship is a vibrant devotional life with God. How many of you think to yourself quite often? It's not a trick question. You were thinking about it too long. Let's ask it again. How many of you think to yourself throughout the day? How many are thinking right now? How many have a job that while you're on the job you think? That's another trick question. Everybody should be thinking on your job, right? Have you ever thought to Jesus? Have you ever thought about abiding with Jesus through your thoughts? Now you may say, Pastor, you're messing with me. No, I'm not. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Do you ever memorize scripture and think on it throughout the day? You know, Psalm, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and onward. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the, and, and, the God, and the peace of God, thank you, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely, if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Whatever you have heard or learned or received from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Have you ever meditated on God's word? That is a scripture teaching us to meditate. I might have gotten a few wrong, but God is gracious. Amen. 
This is how we go in our lives being fruitful disciples. It's not just I'm in church. It's in the times I'm most stressful. It's in the times that I'm doing everything else. I need to have that mental life with God. So what does it look like to get distracted from discipleship? Well, overcommitting. You can start to try to do too many things, and now you think you're like a Pharisee. I have to do all of this to make God happy. And God says, just abide in me, and that makes me happy. Or the opposite of that could be laziness. I don't have to do anything. I'll just wait for it all to come. And God says, no, I want you to do something for me. But it's not to earn my love. And then shallow relationships. You can hide yourself from people in the church or hide yourself from God. And then lastly, what will bring death in your relationship with God? Well, gossip. You can start turning your back against the church and all these things that got you upset. And, or you can start compromising. And you can start believing things that are false. And I want everybody to listen to me here. Don't think that I'm naive to today's culture. You don't think I understand how to fill these chairs? I mean, let's just be honest, all right? I'm a decent speaker. We have great worship. This is a fun church. All I have to do is just check the weather of my culture and change a little bit. My friends have. Well, homosexuality is now in the culture, Joe. Don't consider it's a sin, and I'll bring my friends. Or, Pastor, stop talking about hell. Don't tell me that there's a place where the branches get thrown into the fire. Don't, don't say those words of Jesus. Don't mention sin. Don't mention hell. Tell us that God loves us all the same and that all paths lead to heaven. Come on, let's use our common sense. You don't think I would get more customers or parishioners here if I talked like that? The reason why you're here today is because you've met a man that isn't here to please people only but to please God. And you see, that's what discipleship looks like. And I don't say that to be angry with anybody because everybody sins in their own way. They have their issues. But I'm here to say, I know I could change and I could be a different kind of disciple. But that would bring death to my life and death to this church. Somebody would say, well, that's well, the homosexual thing. I get it. Maybe that's right, you know. But come on, pastor. Stop being so hard on pornography. Every man lusts. You don't think I've heard that before? You see, it's always the husband that says that. It's never the wife. It's never the wife. It's always the husband. Come on, pastor. You're a man. You know what I feel. You know what I go through. Don't you tell me you don't lust. I know you do. But see, here's the thing I tell them. I tell them I died to myself and lived to Christ. I haven't looked at pornography since November 1996, and I remember the last day. I remember it. Are you listening to me? Jesus Christ set me free. Now, do I still struggle at Boricua Fest when we go out there to do humble park outreaches? I'm going to keep it reals. I do. But I have to guard my heart and my eyes, otherwise I get distracted. And if I get distracted by a Bonita Senorita walking by, I will bring death to my marriage, death to this church. Amen. I'm taking it that your facial reactions show you agree with me, and you're just happy I'm not lying today. Amen. How many are happy you have a pastor that tells the truth? Amen. And my wife loves me, and I confess to my wife my weakness, and I confess to her, this is how you help me, and this is what I need to do. And then she tells me what I need to do for her. You understand? There is a working it through. And we don't have time to read the rest of these. Ra Rachel's with you come, but I think you get the point. Well, Colossians chapter 3, talking about work, says, whether in word or deed, do all things unto God without complaining, but with thanksgiving. So when you go to work tomorrow, you come there with an attitude to serve. And if you say, Pastor, well, you don't know my boss, well, then I would say find another job. But don't make the excuse of saying I can't be a Christian here. No one should take away your Christian character. Joseph was a slave, and he still had Christian character. 
So if you're saying this is costing you your character, then that is a distraction. And to find another one. Well, pastor, I make 100000 a year. What am I going to do? Well, if it's costing you your Christian character, go flip hamburgers at McDonald's and live a Christian life. But I would say let's not use it as an excuse. Hello? How many would like to make the 100 k and get along with their boss? Right? You see, we as Christians need to stop making excuses. So if you're working a job and you say, I need to be here, I feel God wants me to be here, this is how I pay my bills, well, then come in there joyful. Come in there joyful. Come in there with the best representation of Christ as you can. What are some distractions on the job? Well, complaining. They didn't pay you to complain. Complaining doesn't solve problems. Either bring solutions or keep it to yourself. Don't be a busybody. Have you ever watched The Office with Michael Scott and the old TV series? That guy is the biggest busybody of them all. I mean, he just wastes time. Don't waste their time. They're paying you. And if you're a boss or you're an owner of your company or you have employees, don't waste their time. Do the best for your company. Laziness is the opposite of that, uh, or, or laziness is a part of that, rather. You know, just not putting your full effort into it. We should be the best at what we do. And what's going to bring our work down to death, lacking integrity, corruption, division, you know, Enron, that's, that's what kills a company. So even today in a wicked world where people still try to get away with as much as they can, there's death. There's a price to pay for that stuff. Everybody, If everybody in the company acted like the worst one in the company, this company wouldn't be here anymore. And that's why companies have to prune people. What is it like in our responsibilities? Well, first of all, just to give you an idea of responsibilities, I'm just talking about you paying bills. Some of you are in school, you got to get good grades. Young people, you got to do your chores. So whatever you do, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 says, Do it unto the Lord, meditating on the word of God, being like a tree planted by the streams of living water, bearing fruit. So is this easy for me? No, it's hard. It's not always easy paying bills, you know. Sometimes, like here at the church, we uh, get a bill sent to this address, and I've told them a hundred times, send it to the P.O. box. And then I get a bill that says I've missed two bills because it didn't come to the right place. And then you got to pay the late fee. And then you try to call Comcast. Can I confess here a little bit? And then you try to tell them, I didn't get the mail. You think they care? They don't care. But we got to do it. We got to do it. You're driving your car, you get a flat. You got to fix it. So how do we do it? We do it abiding in Christ. What are things that will keep us from taking care of our responsibilities? Just being busy. You ever feel like sometimes you're busy, but you're not getting anything done? Why is that? Because we're not prioritizing the right things. We're minoring on the majors and majoring on the minors. Overspending, we've already talked about that. What will have you fail at your responsibilities? Well, breaking your promises. I've been there. You know, I thought I could pay this lease on a building we used to be in. I had to break my word. It was one of the worst times of my life. But here's something to encourage you with. Failure is not a, th a person. It's a thing. So if you fail, get back up. Amen. You know, you've heard all the stories before, but you ever hear the story of 7-Up and how it started? It's not really that true, but it's kind of funny. He started 1-Up, and nobody wanted it. So he had to start 2-Up, and then nobody wanted it, so he went back and remade it again. Then he made 3-Up, and he had to go all the way to 7-Up before people were like, I'm ready to buy this. You made it right. Thomas Edison, 1,000 missteps and failures in making the light bulb. He said it wasn't a 1,000 failures. It was a 1,000-step process. Sometimes we don't always do what we want to do. We try our best, but we, we don't give up. But if you do break your promises, you go in bad debt or you quit, that's killing something. Don't let things die in your life. And then how about our goals? 
In closing, turn with me to Proverbs 3, 5 through 10. I just want to encourage you with this. Can I encourage you to achieve your goals today? Or you want me just to send you on your way? You know, I want to encourage us. I want to be encouraged. Brother, can you, oh, never mind. Let's, let's go to Proverbs 3, 5. Sorry, we were having a miscommunication there. Proverbs 3, 5. Look at this for anybody that has, does anybody have goals in life? Amen. How many have goals in your finances? How many have goals of home ownership or the kind of home investments, goals in your family, right? All these kind of goals. How about this? Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear God and shun evil. Going on down here. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Do you know that this part right here is the, is the total answer to stress? Stress causes health issues. Stress, stress will ache in your bones. They, they've proven this now. They know it. It's a fact. Trust God. And you will start to feel health in your body again. Remember I told you about my stress when I was eating? I didn't feel health in my body and nourishment in my bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Remember we were talking about that giving lesson today? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and don't resent his rebuke. If the Lord tells you, I've got to sniff this, this is wrong, don't get mad at him. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. He disciplines those he, what? He what? He loves. As a father, the son he delights in. See, the father delights in you. That's why he cares about you. That's why he cares about your friends, how you spend your money. Not because he needs more friends in heaven. Not because he needs your money. It's because he delights in you. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is far more profitable than silver and yields better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. This is talking about what wisdom gives us, personified as a beautiful woman. Her ways are pleasant ways. All her paths are the paths of peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowing, the watery depths were divided and the clouds dropped the dew. Did you see any frost this morning? Hello. The Lord did all of that. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. uh, preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be with you for life, an ornament around your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety. Your foot will not stumble when you lie down. You want sweet sleep, people? Hello. No more ambient here. You want the body of a sleeper that can rest. Hallelujah. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You'll have no fear of sudden disaster or the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side. Is anybody hearing God speak to him to them today? I mean, come on, I, as I'm reading this, I'm hearing God speak to me. This is God's word. He's telling us, I'm going to give you sweet sleep. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to be by your side. 
This is God. This is the abiding of the kingdom. You know what will keep you from those things? You know, some of the similar ones, similar uh, busyness, overspending, laziness. But you know what? What will bring death to your goals? It's pity. Oh, you know, I, I wasn't born in this kind of neighborhood or house, and I didn't have a father. You know, that's going to kill your dreams. Shame. Some people feel ashamed. Well, you know, I did this in the past. You know, God will never use me. I can't come back to church. Everybody's going to know that I did this. Hello? Shame is a big deal in the church today. Condemnation. You know what condemnation says? I've messed up and God can't help me. Those are all lies. Don't let pity, feeling sorry for yourself. Don't let shame, thinking what other people think about you, or condemnation saying God can't help you. Pity is what you do to yourself. Shame is what others try to do to you. And condemnation is what the devil tries to do. Don't believe any of it. So as we get ready to close out, we're going to sing a song today. So please be patient because I do want you to focus on this. But would you look up to this as they shut off the lights here, we get ready to, to leave. What are areas in your life you think God needs to focus you back in on to being fruitful? Is it family? Are you fighting some deaths in your family right now and you need to say, God, I'm getting out of this. So bring me life. I want to change distractions, discipleship. I mean, are you feeling burned out? Work, losing your purpose, your goal? Responsibilities, feel you can't do it, or goals, you just put yourself down all the time, or you, you, you failed at something and you just don't think it's ever going to happen. I want to encourage all of us to take 30 seconds, maybe just 60 seconds here, to look at this and ask the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? Let's just do that for a few moments and then we'll close out singing a song. Thirty more seconds. I want to abide. I want to abide, Jesus. Use your imagination too. I love praying with my imagination. That's called meditation. The Bible's talked about it long before Brad Pitt ever did it. He called it yoga. Come on, the Bible says meditate upon the Word. The Bible says He'll do more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine big is your imagination for your family and for your work? It's the heart of faith. It's the heart of trust today. You know, we're abiding. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see everything coming about. I mean, look at that example of the grapevine. How long does it take grapes to grow? I don't know, but it doesn't happen overnight. I know it's not always easy. I know that vine dresser's busy. They got a job to do. Let's not, let's not set false expectations in our life either. Let's be realistic. Let's, let's believe God to start doing some things here that we can really track with. Like, God, I'm going to start doing devotions with my wife every night. I'm going to start this. We're going we're gonna to do something every night together with your word, a scripture reading or prayer. We're going to start this. 
You know, or maybe at your job. You know what, God, instead of getting angry like I normally do or complaining, I'm just going to start meditating on the scripture. Start there. And then build up, build up, build up that faith. Can we all stand up today? I hope that you're being encouraged. I'm getting rocked by this. I got some good nuggies. As the band and altar workers come, I want to leave you out with this closing thought about abiding in the love of God. I hope that you understand it more today. I know I sure do. But abiding in love must always be the center of everything in the disciples' life. How many got that today? It's the center. It's the thing we do. And by that abiding, it's how we receive answers to our prayer, we bear fruit for God, and we glorify the Father. How many want answers to their prayer? Can I hear an amen? Amen. How many want to bear much fruit? And how many want to glorify the Father? Amen. It's time to do it. It's time to do it. Don't leave yet. I know we're just a smidgen late, but don't leave. Would you sing this song with Rachel and I? We'll pray a prayer of dismissal in just a few minutes. But this song says it all today. Come on, would you put up those words today? Jesus at the center of it all. Sing it again. Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center of it From my heart, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's One more time, from my heart. To the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. It's all about you. sing it just one more time and as we do whatever you've prayed about whatever you set your focus on your heart on would you declare it today in this song that Jesus is going to get the job done that it's going to work it's going to happen let's not leave out of here doubting today he is going to keep his word as we abide in his love one more time you yes our heart to the heavens Jesus be the center It's all about you Yes, it's all about you From my heart to the heavens Jesus be the center It's all about you Yes, it's all about you One more time, please, Jesus From my heart 
Jesus. Yes, Lord. Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Can I testify for this young lady right now? Some of you look up if you can. You want to talk about an abider. You want to talk about somebody that fights to abide? You need to talk to this person right here. Carmen is one of the most godliest people I know. You know why? Because her strength comes from abiding. If you looked at her to-do list, you would say, uh-uh, that's impossible. There is no way somebody can do all that. But if you looked at her prayer life and her abiding life, you would say, yep, there's the secret. She's a mom. She's working. She's serving her husband with him in the ministry. She's making disciples. She's setting her own personal goals. And so I want to have her close out today in prayer. And then specifically, if you can identify with that kind of a battle, a fight on your hands, would you let her pray for you? And if you're a man in here, let her husband pray for you because he's right there with her. Together they make a dynamic duo. Amen. Isn't it good to see people fighting that good fight? I'm so glad you're in this church, Carmen. Pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord, because our strength comes from you, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord God, that as we um, dismiss today, Lord God, that we would be reminded, Lord God, that we do not do any of this on our own strength, Lord God. All of our responsibilities, our work responsibilities, our family, making disciples, Lord God, the goals we have, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that we would realize that all we need to do is keep our eyes focused on you, Lord God, and you will bring life and abundance and success in all of those areas, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, if there is anybody in this area who is struggling, Lord God, in, in compromising, Lord God, or in death, Lord God, in these areas, Lord God, that they would release it back to you, Lord God, and give you 100% control, Lord God, and they would abide in you in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, slap your neighbor high five and say abide in Jesus. Amen. God bless you. We're going to close out singing. Have a great day. Thank